if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we gather together, surrender our lives, say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. You're listening to the new Radical Together podcast with teaching from David Platt. We're glad you joined us for another episode of the Radical Together podcast. Now, Radical Together is available through iTunes, or you can get all the episodes by going online to Radical.net. This week, David begins a two-part message from the book of Romans entitled, Our Obligation to the Unreached. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 1. So last time on this Radical Together podcast, my goal was to share my reasoning for why I want to even do this podcast, my hope for it, that God might see fit to use His Word in it to encourage you on mission in the world. And so I think it's helpful to follow that up by providing a picture of the world that we live in and by bringing God's Word to shed light on how we must live in this world. And I use that word must in light of Romans chapter 1, verse 14. So I want to read the opening verses of the book of Romans, and then I want to draw our attention specifically to what Paul says in verse 14. So if you're able to follow along, I invite you to do so. Read along. If you're in a car or on a treadmill or somewhere you might not be able to read along, I invite you to listen along to these words that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to the church at Rome. So he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Then here's verse 14. He says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
Oh, there is so much here. But like I mentioned, I want to draw attention specifically to what Paul said in verse 14, when he said, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So listen to that language. Paul is saying that he is under obligation to preach the gospel to all peoples. Literally, he owes the gospel to all peoples, to Greeks, to barbarians, to the people of Rome. Paul says, I owe them, I owe you the gospel. What a remarkable statement. Paul saying that because he owns Christ, he owes Christ to the nations. His possession of the gospel creates in him an obligation to the nations. And that, that is the premise that I I mentioned last week that is driving this podcast. And the premise, I pray, that would drive the church in our day, that would drive our lives, all of us who know Christ, all of us who believe this gospel, that we would see that our possession of this gospel creates an obligation with this gospel. That you and I must, so I'm using the word must here, we must do all we can to get the gospel to people who've never heard it. That this is not just what David Platt is saying, because he's president of the International Mission Board, that this is what God is saying to his people in his word. That every saved person, this side of heaven, owes the gospel to lost people. And peoples this side of hell. We owe it to them. We can't keep this gospel to ourselves. It's the greatest news in all the world. People can be made right with God forever through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no better news in all the world than this. And everybody has got to hear it. They must hear it. After all, that's why Paul's writing the book of Romans in the first place. You get over to chapter 15 and he talks about how His ambition is to see Christ preach where he's not been named. And he says to the church in Rome, I'm writing this letter to you so that you'll help me get the gospel to Spain. Because there's people there who haven't even heard his name. He's saying, really shouting in the book of Romans, I owe, we owe Christ to the nations. So let's go and make him known. We must do this. This is not an option. This is an obligation. Now, you say, well, that was Paul's day. But are there really that many people in the world today who have never heard the gospel? Are there that many people among whom Christ has not been preached today? Men and women who hardly know his name. And this is where I want to paint a portrait of what is commonly called the unreached in our day. People who have never heard the gospel. Unreached is a term that's commonly used today to refer to people groups among whom there's no indigenous community of believing Christians who are able to engage that people group with church planting. So that's kind of a complicated definition, but you'll you'll hear in that definition reference to people group. So just to maybe uh, educate or remind you what that means, when Jesus commanded the church in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, to go and make disciples of all the nations, the word he used there for nations is ethne, from which we get words like ethnic groups and this is important because when Jesus was talking about nations there in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, he wasn't referring to nations like we think of nations today. We think of 200 or so geopolitical nations in the world that, well, quite frankly, didn't exist 2,000 years ago when Jesus said this in the way they do now. No, Jesus was specifically talking about ethnic groups, groups of people that share common language, cultural characteristics, 
And among 200 nations today, there are a plethora of people groupings. Not even just in nations, but in cities. I think about the city where I've lived for the last eight years, Birmingham, Alabama, hardly the most cosmopolitan city in the world. But we have scores of different people groups represented in that city. Thai, Filipino, Vietnamese, Punjabi, Gujarati, Colombian, Salvadorian, Palestinian Arabs, Jordanian Arabs, Northern Yemeni Arabs, Moroccan Arabs, just to name a few. So think about 200 nations with tons of different megacities, all of them filled with a diverse array of peoples. Most anthropologists and missiological scholars say over 11,000 different people groups in the world that share these common cultural or language characteristics. So unreached peoples then are people groups who don't have an indigenous community of believing Christians. What that means is a church made up of men and women from that people that is sufficient to engage that people with the gospel, that has enough presence among that people to make the gospel known among that people. So technically speaking, when we say unreached, we're saying the way this word's commonly used is that the percentage of evangelical Christians in that people group from that people group is less than 2%. And why that's important is because what that means is if there's not a substantial church presence among a people, not only did 98% of the people not believe the gospel, but there's no church around them, no Christians among them, and most of them have never even met a Christian. In other words, a person who would share the gospel with them. That's what it means to be unreached. So most, if not almost all of the people in an unreached people group have not been reached by a Christian. And Christ has not been named or preached among them. So that begs the question, how many people in the world today are unreached? And our best estimate is that out of over 11,000 distinct people groups, over 6,500 of those people groups are unreached. 6,567 people groups, according to the latest numbers I saw. And just to make sure we feel the weight of that number of people groups, those 6,500 people groups include at least 2 billion individual people. So we're talking, in a world of 7 billion people, at least 2 billion of them are unreached. 2 billion people who still haven't been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then just put one more term on the table, unengaged. Over 3,000 of these 6,500 people groups, over 3,000 are also unengaged, which means there's currently no evangelical church planting strategy underway to reach that people group. So at least 3,000 people groups, many of these are smaller ethnic groups, have no one specifically trying to reach them with the gospel. My, my friend David Youth, who pastors down in Orlando, said there's only one thing worse than being lost, and that's being lost and having no one try to find you. Now, I know that all these numbers of unreached, unengaged can feel distant. That's the way numbers and statistics Work. So what does it mean to be unreached practically? And this is where I just want you to take a minute and put yourself in the shoes of one of these two billion people in the world who are unreached. So imagine you or your family, imagine your kids, so not two billion, but one or two or three or four of you. If you're unreached, practically that means that you do not currently have access to the gospel. In other words, you likely don't even know that it exists. Either like some people I've met in the world, you've never even heard the name of Jesus. Jesus, who's that? 
you don't, you don't, you don't know who that is. Or maybe you've heard of Jesus, but you know as much about him as maybe you know about Confucius. Like, I think he taught on personal and government philosophy, maybe, and had influence on Eastern thinking, but that's about all you know. And you, and you don't know any Christian. You don't know anyone who knows the truth about Christ. You've never met anyone who knows the truth about Christ. You don't have access to the gospel. And th- this is key. This is why we don't say, well, I don't know why we talk about unreached people around the world when there's unreached people who work at my office. Not true. Most people aren't unreached. Why? Because they have access to the gospel. You say, well, how do you know? And the answer is because you work with them. You are their access to the gospel. If you're unreached, it means you don't have access to Christians, to truth about what Christ has done. And unless something changes, you will likely be born, live, and die without ever even hearing the gospel. So that's what we're talking about practically. People who, if they die today, so put yourself in their shoes. If you die today, you will die likely never having heard the good news of what God has done in Christ. Which leads to the inevitable question, well, what happens when you die then? I mean, do you go to hell forever? If you die and you never even heard the gospel? And that's where we come biblically to what it means to be unreached. And this is a question that Paul's answering in the book of Romans. Right after these opening words in Romans that I just read, Paul goes on to explain the state of the unreached, those people who've never heard the gospel. So basically, biblically, Paul says that to be unreached means, first and foremost, you have knowledge of God. That's what he goes on to say in verse 18. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the godliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For, verse 19, he says, What can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. In other words, God has made himself known to all people on the planet everywhere, in such a way that verse 21 says, for although they knew God, so all people everywhere, we're talking the man in the African jungle, a woman in the Asian village, the nomad in a remote desert, the Eskimo in the forgotten tundra, like everybody has knowledge of God. God has made himself clear to them in creation. God says in Isaiah 40, 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these stars. He who brings out the starry host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God through the stars, through the sun, through the moon, through the grandeur of creation all around us is revealing his glory to all people. We'll get back to David's message in just a minute, but I want to take a moment to let you know that you can be a part of spreading the gospel to the unreached right now. And one of the ways that you can do that is through your sacrificial giving to global missions. Visit imb.org now and give to support and enable missionaries who are proclaiming the gospel to people all over the world. Also at imb.org now, you can find resources and information on how to promote missions giving in your own church. And if you're looking for more resources from David Platt, visit Radical.net. There you can watch or listen to past sermons, follow our Radical blog, and find information and resources from catalytic events like Secret Church. Here's David with the rest of today's message. 
So if you're unreached, no matter where you are in the world, you have knowledge of God. But second, you have rejected God. So verse 21 goes on to say, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It goes on to talk about the sinful nature that resides in every single person on the planet, including you and me, that rebels against the knowledge and the glory of God. And it looks different in different places. So maybe, maybe someone's in West Africa. And okay, just kind of keep yourself in their shoes. Maybe you practice voodoo and your attempts to appease and direct evil spirits around you. Or maybe you're in India and you offer incense every day to gods that you've crafted with your own hands. Or maybe you're in Saudi Arabia and you bow down five times a day to recite prayers to a false god. Or maybe you're in the mountains of Nepal where you worship the Buddha and you've sent off your firstborn son in the monastery to attain Buddhahood. Or maybe you're in China or in North Korea and you've rejected the idea of God altogether. You hardly even have a concept of God. So this looks different for different people. But if you're unreached, it means you have knowledge of God. God's made himself clear to you. And the knowledge God has revealed to you about himself, you have rejected. You have turned aside from the one true God. And as a result, Romans is clear. You stand condemned before God. Romans 1, 18 through chapter 3, verse 20 are some of the most depressing verses in all the Bible. From chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 16, he talks about how the Gentiles have disobeyed God. And then you get to chapter 2, verse 17, he begins to talk about how the Jews have disobeyed God. And then he comes to the conclusion. He says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. And then he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away from God. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then he brings it to a stinging indictment in chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, where he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth is silenced and the whole world is held accountable to God. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, right? In other words, by doing good things. Either through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The whole picture is all people everywhere have knowledge of God, have rejected God, and stand condemned before God. And this is a reality for all people everywhere, including those who have not heard the gospel. And this is so important to realize that all people because of our sinful nature, stand condemned before God. Sometimes when we're thinking about people who are unreached, people ask, well, what about the innocent guy in Africa who dies without ever hearing hearing the gospel? And the answer to that question is simple. He He goes to heaven, no question. The innocent guy in Africa would go to heaven even though he's never heard the gospel. The problem is, the innocent guy in Africa doesn't exist. Like We, we bias this question from the start. As if there's innocent people all over the world that deserve to go to heaven. The reality is there's guilty people all over the world, which is why they need the gospel. Far, far too often, we, we almost start to view heaven as the default eternal state, as if God owes us heaven. It's not true. We stand, all people stand guilty before God, having rejected God. Which is, it, this is huge. I think this is fundamental misunderstanding across the church, because many people, even professing Christians, have come to the conclusion that if 
if certain people don't have the opportunity to hear about Jesus, that them not hearing in some way excuses them from condemnation. That they'll go to heaven, we think, because after all, they never even had an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And and I can feel, without question, the emotional pull of this question. I want to think there's a way, but but think about the logic. If if people can go to heaven, will go to heaven precisely because they've never heard the gospel, they've never heard about Jesus, then what's the worst thing we could do for them? Let me take the gospel to them. Before we get there and we proclaim the gospel to them, they were guaranteed to go to heaven because they'd never heard the gospel. Now that they've heard the gospel from us, they've got a chance of going to hell. Like, thanks a lot for the Radical Together podcast or or whatever, like IMB, mission organizations and church talking about getting the gospel in nations. Like, stop doing it. We're going to heaven without you. We know that's not true. That, that would undercut the entire missionary enterprise that we see in the church across the New Testament. So all people stand condemned for rejecting God and they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the gospel. And that is the problem. Because if you're unreached, then you have knowledge of God and you've rejected God and you stand condemned before God and you've never heard the good news about how you can be saved by God. This is this is where Paul comes in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, in one of the most beautiful paragraphs in all of Scripture. I can almost picture Paul in tears by the end of Romans chapter 3, verse 20, just thinking about the sinfulness of man, the depravity of man, the destination of sinful men before God. And then he writes, But now... A righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God has presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. This is... This is the gospel. This is the good news that God has poured out His wrath due sinners, the condemnation due sinners upon His only Son, so that anyone anywhere in the world who puts their faith in His Son, puts their faith in Jesus Christ, will be forgiven of all their sin and justified before God. This is good news. This is gloriously great news. But in the words of Carl F. H. Henry, this gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. Do we, do we realize this? So, so now it makes sense to step out of their shoes for a minute. So their shoes, unreached, you have knowledge of God, you've rejected God, you stand condemned by God, and you've never heard the good news about how you can be saved by God. But step back in our shoes. And thank God that's not the case for us who are listening to this podcast. Even if it was the, the case before you listen to this podcast, it's not the case now. You've, you've, yes, we've all got knowledge of God and we've rejected God, but, but we've heard the good news of how we can be saved by God. And most, if not all the people who are listening to this podcast, have put their faith in Christ. We stand accepted before God. Not just accepted before God. We're adopted by God. How is that possible? It's possible because we've heard the good news about how we can be saved by God. We had access to this news. Somebody 
told us. Praise God, somebody told you. Somebody told me. Praise God, we're not in the shoes of the unreached. We're in the shoes of the reached. Or we're listening to this podcast. So then, why must we go to the unreached? Must? Why must we? Why are we obligated to give our lives? Whether we stay right where we live now or move somewhere else, why are we obligated to give our lives getting the gospel to people who've never heard it? Why must we do this, church? Why must you do this, Christian? Why must you and I go to the unreached? And so I want to just close with four brief reasons in the book of Romans. One, we must go to the unreached because their knowledge of God is only enough to damn them to hell. There are over 6,000 people groups, 2 billion people, right now, for whom hell is the only option based on their knowledge of God. I'm going to feel this. There are over 2 billion people in the world at this moment who have enough knowledge of God to show that He is incomprehensibly glorious and they are sinfully lost, but that's all they've got. That's all they've got. I, I, I mentioned being at Pashpati and seeing these, these bodies burning on funeral pyres in Nepal. And, and, and just picture the scene in Nepal, these Himalayan mountains, just majestic glory of God in creation everywhere. But that majesty of God in creation only gets so far. Yes, it resounds, it shouts to His character and His power and His glory. But all it's done is lead to idolatry in those Himalayan mountains and all kinds of unexplainable practices. Their knowledge of God, they need special revelation. They need the good news of what God has done in Christ. And without it, their knowledge of God is only enough to damn them to hell. They need the gospel. Second reason, because the gospel of God is powerful enough to save them for heaven. This gospel is good. It works. I think about northern India, not far from Nepal. Just imagine everywhere you look, city slums and rural rural villages, people who've never heard the gospel. Some of them starving to death. So I'm walking through these slums. We, we stop in the house of one elderly woman, Hindu gods all over this one-room shack. It's all she's ever known, all her ancestors have ever known. And I, I say, I want to tell you about the one true God who loves you and who sent his son to die so that you might know him. And in an instant, in a moment, in the power of the gospel, just like that, she leaves behind generations of Hinduism. And she says, I want to trust in Christ alone to reconcile me to the one true God. Oh, there is not a person or a people group on this planet that is beyond the power of God to save. We're obligated to go because the gospel of God is powerful enough to save them for, for heaven. If they, if they hear it, they'll believe. Not all of them, to be sure, but many will. We know this. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. How can we not take the gospel to them when we know many of them will believe that Jesus has purchased people from every one of these tribes and tongues of peoples? We've got to go because their knowledge of God is sufficient to damn them to hell. They're the gospel of God is powerful enough to save them for heaven. Third reason why we must go to the unreached, because the plan of God warrants the sacrifices of His people. It just makes sense. 
It's, it's why Paul starts the whole book and he says, I'm a servant. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. And my obligation is to preach the gospel to all people. It's because that's the plan for how they're going to hear it. They're going to hear it when the gospel is preached by his people. And we'll, we'll talk about this more in the next podcast. But people might say, well, well, couldn't God get them the gospel another another way besides through us preaching the gospel? Well, sure, God could. God could put the Roman road in the sky. But He's not doing that. He's not doing that. Brothers and sisters, we are plan A for how the gospel is going to get to all peoples. And there is no plan B. We must go to unreached peoples because we're the plan of God to get the gospel to them. And this warrants the sacrifices of our lives and our families and our churches. And sacrifices is the right word. If we have this much access to the gospel in our culture and there's this much absence of the gospel in other cultures, then surely God is leading many more of us, maybe the majority of us, to lay down our lives here and go to those cultures there. Or if God calls us to stay here, then surely He's leading us to live more simply and to give more sacrificially so that as many people as possible can go and this gospel can spread to them. This involves sacrifice among all of us in our lives, our families, as churches. The plan of God warrants it. And ultimately, we must go to the unreached because, well, one, their knowledge of God is only enough to damn them to hell. Two, because the gospel of God is powerful enough to save them for heaven. Three, because the plan of God warrants the sacrifices of his people. And fourth, and ultimately, because the Son of God deserves the praises of all peoples. This is it. This is how the book of Romans begins. He, he, Paul says, we've received grace. Why? Why have we received grace? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Oh, Christian brother or sister listening to this right now, you have received grace from God in the gospel. I have received grace from God in the gospel. We have received grace. Why? I ask myself all the time, why was I born into a reached family, a reached people group, where I've heard the gospel ever since I was born? I had nothing to do with where I was born. Why did God put me here? And I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know this. It's because of His grace that I have heard this gospel. And His grace was not intended to stop with me. It was intended to spread through me. That I've received grace for a goal. That I've received mercy for a mission. That you have received grace for a goal, and you've received mercy for a mission. That this gospel is not intended to stop with you. It is intended to spread through you, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among all the nations. That's the mission. That's the goal. Every nation, people group, group of people bowing around the throne of Jesus, singing his praises. This is what we live for. This is what we work for. This is what we strive for. This is what we die for. For the day when all the peoples of the earth take their rightful place around the heavenly throne and give our Lord and King the glory he is due. That's why we must, we must, we are obligated. This is not an optional. We must, we're obligated to get the gospel to people who've never heard it. So, so God, please use our lives toward that end. And use my life to that end. Use 
the brother or sister who's listening to this right now, use their life toward that end. We see in your word our obligation because, because we own Christ, or maybe more properly put, Christ owns us. We owe Christ to the world. So help us, we pray, to see our lives right where we live and wherever you lead in the days to come. In this world where so many are unreached, harvest plentiful, you tell us that, workers few. Oh God, raise up more and more and more workers, we pray, to go into the harvest field with this gospel. And we'll, we'll go however, whenever, wherever you lead us. And we pray that you would use us in that way for the obedience of faith, for the sake of your name among all the nations. Help us to realize and live out our obligation to the unreached, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for Radical Together. For additional free resources, including those available in other languages, visit Radical.net slash resources. And again, if you'd like information on the International Mission Board, go to imb.org. Join us next time for the second part of David's message right here on the Radical Together podcast.